Welcome to another episode of Two Peas on a Podcast. Counting down movies, music, TV, and pop culture. One top five at a time. And now, here are the two peas. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of Two Peas on a Podcast. And we are Two Peas tonight. Gerald here with you. And I have a bit of a show regular as of late back with me tonight. It's always a delight when I'm able to chat with her and get her back on the show. She was just on. I'm trying to think of the release schedule for these episodes, and I feel like it's two weeks back-to-back because when this airs, it'll be a week removed from when we did our uh, Best of 2022 movies. And now you're Mm -hmm. back. Lindsay Dunn is here from one of my stories, also a personal friend of mine here local to me, and she's back on the peas. What's up? Welcome back. Good evening. <laughs> Started out with it. Well, go ahead and tell everybody. So what are we counting down tonight? You kind of led into it there a little bit with your impersonation, <laughs> which I like. That was good. That was a good effort. That's better than I could do. <laughs> I, I was listening to YouTube clips before to practice that. Uh, nice. Well, tonight, Gerald, we are talking about the master of suspense himself, Mr. Alfred Hitchcock. That's correct. That's correct. So our favorite Hitchcock movies, our top five Hitchcock films. Uh, We're going to get into it, obviously, shortly with our top fives. And I'm assuming, you know, I say that a lot. And sometimes it turns out to not be true. But sometimes I say, like, I'm assuming a lot of crossover. And sometimes my guests will surprise me. But I feel like Hitchcock has at least a few that are just like irrefutable, absolute divine classics that I just don't see how we would not cross over on at least two or three, but I'll hold that because like I said, I, sometimes I get really surprised and maybe I'm a little too basic in my picks, but I do want to kind of talk a little bit about the research. What's up, Dan? He just joined us over in the chat. What's up, brother? I see that. He's probably, Dan in, is back. He's probably in the middle. He's probably in the middle of editing an episode right now. And now he's listening to this one. It, the guy just can't get enough of me. Multitasking. He's going to have to take this out and post too. He's probably like, stop talking. So I want to talk a little bit about our research for the Hitchcock list, Lindsay. And for me, it, well, I got something I got to tell you. Okay. But I don't, but I want to hear you first. So I want to hear your research kind of approach first. First of all, you chose this list. You kind of said, Hey, have you done that yet? You know, we thought we mm-hmm. might be able to squeeze it back in October when we did our Halloween episodes, but we, you know, I didn't have enough room to fit it in this past October. But I said, that's fine. You know, we'll just do Hitchcock whenever you want to do Hitchcock. So here we are in early February talking about the guy, but I think he's, you know, he transcends months. It doesn't really matter what month it is. We can talk about Hitchcock. But when you were doing your research, how was it for you? I mean, are you like really into this guy's filmography and it's kind of like second nature to you or did you kind of have to refresh your memory a little bit oh yeah no i mean hitchcock is i feel like i've been asked before how did you get you know why did you decide to spend so much time with movies and i feel like i should answer that with hitchcock being kind of my birth as a film critic because it was the first time i became aware of the fact that a director can have a style, a thing they do, recognizable fingerprints they can put all over their movies. 
And this guy was the subject of my Pathfinder in library library school. Um, probably, I don't know how many librarians you know, but uh, one of the <laughs> research topics we all have to do is called a Pathfinder, where basically you're finding all these resources that if somebody wanted to study uh, any particular thing, they could follow your guides of how to go into that. So I did my Pathfinder on Alfred Hitchcock and had to research. It's not research him, but research how you research Hitchcock. And sure, yeah. Yeah, the guy has written, uh, directed 59 movies. Yeah. That segues a little bit to what I have to tell you. So as I was doing my research, and I was kind of looking at, you know, his filmography, IMDb and Letterboxd and, uh, you know, just kind of Googling Hitchcock movies. I don't know 100%, but I think I'm like 98% sure that I've only seen about 10 of his movies. Mm-hmm. And which really, really surprised me because the ones that I have seen, and especially the ones that are going to make my top five, I've seen multiple times. And I love them. Some of them I studied in college kind of as a necessity. And then I found myself kind of revisiting them. They really grow on me too. A lot of these movies, like I didn't necessarily like them or wasn't super into them the first time I saw them. And now with each viewing, they get a little bit more important to me and I like them a little bit more. But I don't know that surprised me. Now you said, what'd you say? 54? Is that what you said? 59 movies. 59? Yeah. So how many have you seen roughly? I've seen almost all of them. I, I you know, I, wow. I didn't go through and count, but you know, Martin Scorsese has twenty nine movies. Ridley Scott twenty eight. Steven Spielberg thirty five. Robert Altman mm-hmm. thirty five. So if you look at these are, yeah, I looked up a website who has directed the most movies. There was only one director that had directed three more movies than Hitchcock and. I don't remember who that guy's name was, honestly. <laughs> Looking at his filmography, I was like, I don't even recognize any of these movies. But he's he's probably directed the most movies, and so many of them are hits. They're so um, he invented so many horror tropes, and is so sure. influential that I think it's almost invisible, and people don't know about it. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I'll tell you, I'll confess something to you, Gerald. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The reason I wanted to do this show is because of a, of a podcast of yours I was listening to in October where oh, wow. you were you were talking about uh I believe your favorite horror franchises was the topic. And mm-hmm. you made a statement about the Friday the 13th series. You said this mm-hmm. franchise invented the slasher was a statement you made. <laughs> And I oh, was wow, like, okay. oh, we got to get on and talk you're, you're about Hitchcock me, huh? because what about Psycho? Yes, I'm quoting you. <laughs> so <laughs> <Wow>. I wanted, <laughs> I was kind of, you remember when I did Blumhouse and I was. I think I said Camp Slasher though, didn't I? You might I have know. said I don't the remember. contemporary. You might have said the contemporary slasher. I'll give you a pass, okay, Gerald. Right. I'm not. I'm not here to, uh, you know, to point. I mean, maybe out, I did. I don't know, know, but that. I just doesn't sound like something I would say. Maybe camp slasher, or I don't know. But yeah, but go ahead. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe I was drunk. Yeah. I don't know. I just think that he's he's wonderful, and um, I yeah. could probably geek out about Alfred Hitchcock all night if you if you really wanted to. Um, but I just, I just think, um, 
what he did for movies is almost so, so much that it's taken a lot for granted. And, you know, looking at, um, you know, he was the master of suspense. He's the master of the scenario. We just talked about um, talking about what makes a good horror movie. A lot of times it's about introducing the right scenario. And he would take this scenario, like, let's pretend, for example, and this isn't one of my favorite movies, so it's not a spoiler, but let's pretend you're a priest and you are sworn to secrecy when anybody confesses and somebody comes to you and confesses they committed a murder. What would you do? It's like an outlandish right. scenario like that. Who would come right. up with something? Alfred Hitchcock, that's who. And and so um, he just paved the way for horror in such a big way. I agree. And, and to your point of that example, too, I mean, that's something that's somewhat rooted in reality, too. Like, it's not super far-fetched to mm-hmm. think that something like that might happen. Like, you know, I know the whole doctor-patient, you know, confidentiality thing. But what if your patient tells you something and you know, I killed a person or I'm a serial killer or whatever. And, you know, same thing could be said from a confession standpoint for a priest. So, you know, and one thing that I think everything you said, I agree with. I, I, one thing I'll say about Hitchcock too, is that, you know, I really started studying him in college, but one thing that really kind of fascinated me, and we'll talk about it with some of the movies that I'm definitely going to mention tonight. I assume you will too, but he takes these like everyday kind of commonplace scenarios and items and things and situations and makes them really scary and really horrific. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we'll we'll talk about it as, as we get it. I don't want to give away any spoilers, but there's some like simple kind of like daily things that we take for granted in our lives that are always around us that you don't think of as a threat or as anything that's going to be considered quote unquote horrific. But Hitchcock somehow takes that basic premise and will scare the shit out of you. And then it'll make you question it the next time you get in the shower, if you know what I'm saying, uh, or whatever he might be playing with in that particular project. So I agree with you. I, I don't think I said slasher, though. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with camp slasher, but I know you. You're probably going to go back and you're probably going to listen. You're going to pull a little quote and you're going to play it for me next time we get together. Uh, but that's fine. So <laughs> Hitchcock is the man. And as a horror fanatic, I, obviously, he's one of the masters and one of the foundation pieces to the genre. Uh, with films like Psycho and some other stuff that will come up tonight. So everything you said was said beautifully. Why don't we get into our list, Lindsay? Let's go ahead and talk mm-hmm. about our top five movies from Alfred Hitchcock. Might be a shorter episode depending on the length of crossover, but you know we can just kind of pine over his catalog, so that's fine. You want to get us started? What is your number five Hitchcock movie? My number five is the 1944 Lifeboat. Mm, I've never seen this one. Now, look, I'm just going to tell you, I, I know you, you're doing the librarian thing. You do the research. You, you're, you're a smart cookie. If you're coming in here with these movies, I haven't seen this. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be like, I haven't seen it, but I'm also making a list. So I'm going to have a little to-do list. I think you're probably going to give me homework is what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, that's my whole goal in doing this is, is not to <laughs> show how much more I know about Hitchcock than you, Gerald. I think, I think I probably do. I wouldn't, I wouldn't swear to it, but it's really to advertise these movies and intrigue people enough that they will want to go and seek them out and watch them. That is my goal. Yeah, for sure. And I respect that. And I love that because I'll be one of those people. <laughs> yeah. And I did surprise you with Blumhouse. I think I might surprise you again, but mm-hmm. Lifeboat, this is based on a, actually a John Steinbeck short story. 
And I just watched this again last night in preparation for this podcast. It's a formula that has been repeated over and over again, but this is one of, what's interesting about this one is it's one of his limited, Hitchcock's limited setting movies. So he would do these movies where it would be like a very, he gave himself a restriction and had to, was able to play in that sandbox. And that restriction was this whole movie takes place on a lifeboat and it's strangers thrown together. They have just been, uh, their ship has just been bombed by a German a ship of some kind, and they're all surviving in this one lifeboat. People from different classes, different races, different life experiences, and they have to live together or die alone, as you know they would say in Lost. And you have you know mm-hmm. this is this inspired such things as the stand um, of of Lost, and even the show I'm watching right now, 1899. It's like there's mm-hmm. this disaster and we all have to survive together. So it all took place in this tiny little lifeboat that gave Hitchcock a fun way to do his regular cameo uh, and end up being on a newspaper. So this is a mm-hmm. very, very cool movie that I hadn't watched in years, but I was like, I want to watch it for this episode to see if I can put it in here. And it definitely captured my attention right away. All right, well, it's what I'm going to have to check out. I haven't seen it. But as you were talking before you started kind of giving the similarities there, I also kind of was thinking of some of that stuff, like Lost and just kind of like, you know, stranded storyline. I mean, like you said, I mean, that's been done a 100 times since this. So great pick. It's one I need to check out. What was the year on Lifeboat again? Lindsay, do you have it there? 1944. 44. So I found it for free on a random uh, station on Roku. So you can find it for free on streaming somewhere. Yeah, if you can find free Hitchcock, then you're winning. So do that for sure. (laughs) Mine is 10 years later, 1954. It's Dial M for Murder. Is a movie that um, I will confess that I haven't seen in way too long. This is one of those movies that I did have to watch for college. It was an American Gothic course, I believe, that I had at the time. And we watched a lot of Hitchcock. There was like a two-week segment where we only studied Hitchcock. And this was one of the movies that we watched and it did stick with me. Like I remember thinking like, yeah, it's an old movie. It's, you know, the acting's a little outdated and that kind of thing. And I haven't revisited it in quite a while, but at the time I was thinking that, but what my professor kind of told me, what I kind of learned about the production of the movies, what kind of really intrigued me, you know, it is a good movie about, you know, this guy that basically wants to have his wife killed because she's rich and he's afraid that, she's going to leave him for another man. So before she can do that, he wants to have her killed, which in essence means he would get her inheritance and so on. So that's kind of the plot of the movie. There's a couple twists in there, of course, because it's Hitchcock, but that's the general plot. But what was interesting, what I learned and forgive me, I'm like 20 years removed from a lot of these facts, but you know, Hitchcock was coming into, he didn't want to do 3d, which was like a huge, thing in the early to mid fifties, everybody was kind of cashing in on these 3d movies and trying to get people into the cinema and, you know, cause TV sets were kind of a thing and people just kind of get people to leave the home and go to the movies and Hitchcock and the studio kind of talked Hitchcock into doing uh, dial M as a 3d movie. So there's a lot. So when you watch it back, knowing that there's a lot of really interesting things done with the camera and the props and the shots, a lot of mm-hmm. lower, uh, sh- angle shots that Hitchcock's not really known for. He's known more for the wide stuff. 
you know, a lot of like, um, you know, props and stuff in the foreground, which he's also not known for. And knowing like, oh, okay, well, it was all to make the 3D kind of aesthetic a little more, you know, easy to pull off in 1954. And he was against it, but he did it. Um, you know, the studio forced his hand to do that. And also that this is based on a play. And when you watch mm-hmm. it as a movie, it is, it's a very different Hitchcock film for the first reason I just mentioned, but also because it predominantly takes place in this one apartment, really, this one house. And that's the only major setting in the film. There's a couple other shots, but I mean, generally, like 90% of the movies in this one place. So for those two reasons, it's just a really kind of outlier in Hitchcock's catalog. And it's really kind of fascinating part of movie history and of his, the history of his films, too. So I love the story kind of behind Dial M for Murder, but it's also a really cool kind of like murder mystery as well from the 50s, which, you know, I know we're talking Hitchcock tonight, but I don't really get into movies that are like pre-1960-ish. I definitely don't revisit them very often. You know, when my grandmother was around, I would, you know, she'd throw one on and I'd watch it with her and I'd really enjoy it. But I'm not like rushing to throw in movies from the 50s, but I can remember this one I thought, I think it holds up pretty well and I really enjoyed it. What do you think about this one? Is it coming up on your list or do you want to say anything about it? It's not coming up on my list, but I, I do like this movie too. It's another limited setting one. Like you mentioned, everything's in the one apartment. He gave himself a limitation. He prac, you know, he did the innovation of the 3d and this one has been remade multiple times too. Um, both mm-hmm. direct, uh, you know, dial in for murder and then inspired, you know, a spinoff movie. I remember I had Gwyneth Paltrow, but I don't remember the title of that movie, but, but it's definitely one oh, that yeah, I know has, what you're talking about. um, yeah, it's like a movie that's very loved by, uh, people, even if they're not familiar with Hitchcock's work. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's, I mean, you know, it was based on a play, so obviously it's not his story, but when yeah. you factor, when you factor in that kind of murder mystery, um, you know, on paper, I mean, Hitchcock turned it into what it was, you know I mean? What it became. So, mm-hmm. and I love the story. I love the story and the history behind it too. And how you can kind of like see, like when you watch, like if you did a marathon of his movies, the, I imagine this one would look a lot different than all the other ones. And that's very interesting to me, but it's also seen as one of his best, which is weird. Cause it's not mm-hmm. visually, it doesn't hit you as like a Hitchcock movie, you know, which I think is really cool. As yeah, well. it has so like that's the telephone. Five. Yeah, the telephone, like right. as a prop. That's another thing. It's not a shower, but it's a right. telephone, and you might always be picking up the telephone and think you have to look behind you, and make sure there's nobody behind the curtains. Yep, yep. He does that so beautifully. He really does, and that's actually a great call out in terms of the phone in this movie. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think the tagline. I have it here in front of me. Actually, if a woman answers. Hang on for dear life <laughs> tagline <laughs> on the poster, which I think is great as well. Uh, all right. So that's my number five. And it swings us over to you for your four. Okay. So my number four is the 1957 rope. Another limited mm. setting or, you know, special sandbox that Hitchcock gave himself, which is doing a movie in one take. It wasn't an actual one take. Of course, he did have different breaks um, but they are as invisible as possible and the scenario here is what if we killed someone together and put them in a chest and then served dinner on top of that chest uh mm-hmm. i mean how sick is that it's such a wonderful concept for a movie though it's a very suspenseful movie it keeps you 
um, the way they do things. We know that there's this body in this chest and there might be opportunities for people to discover discover that. And the the two guys that are responsible for this set up this concept so that they are anticipating, they're getting off on the fact that this is happening, but we, the audience, are also experiencing that with them. And it has an amazing role for Jimmy Stewart as well, playing this professor that has taught them and didn't know what the weight of his words would do. And it just gives you a really interesting um, thing to think about, like what are the dangers of teaching and um, just lots of uh, lots of things you can discuss after. Uh, you know, I like discussing things. So it's, this is mm-hmm. one you can have a great conversation about if you're if you're imbibing alcohol or not. I mean, this is a this is just a great movie all around and I've gotten to see this one on the big screen several times and always really really love that. Have you seen Rope? No, I haven't. It's it's I've literally added it to my watch list on Letterboxd as you were talking. So uh so far you're two for two on Hitchcock movies that I need to see. You know, I, I couldn't believe that I'd only seen a literal handful knowing that he did 59 films. But um, it just really makes me realize, especially like with maybe when this Halloween season comes up, I maybe need to do a Hitchcock kind of binge and get through mm-hmm. some of these. And I'll start with the ones that you mentioned because you know what you're talking about. So Rope, one that I have not seen, but that's your number four. My number four is a movie that I do remember a lot more vividly than my first pick for Dial M. And that's from 1958. It's a movie called Vertigo. And Vertigo is a movie that I've seen a few times since. And this is one that's a little fresher in my memory than some of the other ones that I'll be talking about tonight. Because it's a film that really like sits with you and really makes you kind of consider the different themes and kind of like what was going on in Hitchcock's mind. What does he want us to think about what we're seeing? And to be honest with you, it's a 1958 film and I really still haven't have a full grasp on it. And I think that is what is so awesome about just movies in general is that they can really just kind of embed themselves in your brain and you're just constantly trying to figure stuff out and think about, you know, themes and pathos and uh, the director's vision and that kind of thing. And Vertigo is one of those, like a perfect example of that. But, you know, we have Jimmy Stewart here again, who does great in this role. This is a movie that I feel like is like a cinematic vision of like the male gaze too, because, you know, Madeline, who he's kind of pining over and there's a lot of kind of like sexual undertones and Mm. it's a very lustful kind of once Jimmy Stewart kind of gets involved in following her and almost creepy to a certain extent, honestly. Of course, we find out that essentially she was not real and it was all a ruse to kind of have this elaborate murder from his friend that had hired him in the beginning of the movie. And, um, you know, Jimmy Stewart's kind of fear of heights plays into the whole thing. So Hitchcock does a lot of these ruses in this film and it's a very beautiful movie, like very vivid colors. You know, I can remember there's one scene where he kind of sees Madeline for the first time. and he's obviously infatuated with her and she's like a perfect woman. And he like, you know, the audience kind of thinks that too, the way she's filmed and there's like this glow around her. I mean, Hitchcock does all these things to kind of go out of his way to say, this is, this is the perfect person here. And uh, Jimmy Stewart 
sees her and as she's like leaving this restaurant, the walls are red and she's leaving and Hitchcock does this lighting effect where like the wall kind of like glows behind her and it's through Mm -hmm. Jimmy's eyes. You know, it's what he sees. Yeah. I mean, like I said, essentially she's not real. At least that's my take on it. You know, Judy and the whole thing. So it's like a kind of a double, double take or whatever, kind of like a, I don't know what you would call it, but it's like a, uh, they they swap each other's kind of like personalities and they're essentially the same person is what we find out, which is kind of the plot twist at the end of Vertigo. But I love this movie. Kind of <laughs> hope everybody's like seen said, it. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> well, it's a 1958 movie. I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not trying to not spoil a movie that's 70 years old at this point, you know, but yeah, if you haven't, sorry. So there you go. What do you think of Vertigo? That's my number four. Well, it's coming up later on my list, so I'll save my comments. Okay, cool. I'm glad to hear that because I thought you were going to have five I never heard of so or I haven't seen, so <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. All right, well, we'll just uh, pop over to you then. I'll let you hold your commentary. We'll pop over to you. What is your number three, Lindsay? My number three is The Man Who Knew Too Much. This is a really interesting movie, Gerald, because we hear about people remaking other people's movies, but how often do you have a director that remakes his own movie? Alfred Hitchcock directed a black and white version of The Man Who Knew Too Much in 1934 and then remade it in 1956. Now, I was trying to, I've never really asked myself the question, well, why did he decide to remake it? And I, mm-hmm. I, what it came down to, it looks like it was a contractual obligation of some sort that oh, Albert okay. Hitchcock needed to fulfill. So he needed to do another movie for a particular studio. And so he thought this one would translate really well. But I love the set. Both the versions are very good. They're very different uh, in tone. Um, but this, this second one stars, again, uh, you know, it has Doris Day Jimmy and, and Jimmy Stewart, right? And um, this is the scenario is they go on vacation in French Morocco. Their child is kidnapped and they are trying to save him at the time, at the same time as they get involved with state secrets. And it becomes a balancing act of we want to be on the good side, but we also need to protect our child. So they have this dilemma that they're bridging together as a couple. The best known scene about this movie is this orchestra scene where um, we know that when the cymbals crash, this man is going to be killed. And so there's this very long, ah, yes, K, sirrah, sirrah, we got a comment. Hi, Tony D. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And yeah, and that song comes back up in the, uh, is in the Evil Dead, the new Evil Dead trailer, right? Evil Dead Rise, yeah, for sure. Absolutely, Um, they nailed that, yeah. So it's, the, the orchestra scene though, I should have looked up before how long it lasts, but it's a long scene of, of 10 minutes and Hitchcock successfully builds tension through this entire musical score and uh, that ends on this cymbal crash and you you just feel like you can't stand anymore if this cymbal crash doesn't come. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's a wonderful movie, very, uh, very fun, very lively. It's a, you know, a international location. It takes you out of the United States and, 
just gave uh, has a wonderful performance from from everybody. So uh, have you seen mm-hmm. this one, Gerald? I have. It's been a long time. It's in my honorable mentions. It's it's one of the ones that I remember really enjoying. I actually didn't know it was a remake, and I definitely didn't know it was a remake of his own film until you just <laughs> told me that. So, and then I see it in the description here on Letterbox after you said that. So I didn't even know that. Um, I only know the version that you're mentioning, but. Yeah, good film. I I wish I could remember it a little more clearly because, you know, I am what I am. You know what I mean? I'm getting old. Mm-hmm. But it's a good one and some honorable mentions. Now, my number three, Lindsay, I assume you'll have it or maybe at least in your honorables. But it's from 1954's Rear Window. And you're talking about Hitchcock kind of creating these tropes that we've seen a hundred times. This is another one. I mean, this is a film about voyeurism and it's a film about, you know, I just saw a movie. One of my favorite movies last year was a film called watcher with Michael Monroe. And it's basically Mm -hmm. the same plot. You know, the only difference is the guy across the courtyard or whatever is a serial killer as opposed to just, you know, this one murder or whatever, but it's essentially the same plot. And then you have disturbia with Shia LaBeouf that came out like 15 years ago. Uh, I mean, it's just been done a hundred times. It's kind of like lurking Last stalker year, in the shadows. Uh, Kimmy also that just came out the movie Kimmy. Have you seen that one? No, I haven't. Is that the same premise oh, as well? Okay. Yeah, it's a S- Steven Soderbergh. I think it was a movie that came out just last year. Kimmy. I think I know what you're talking about. But I don't think I saw that one, but yeah. With Zoe Kravitz, yeah. Yeah, cool. And you know, Jimmy Stewart again, Grace Kelly here, which by the way, she was in Dial In For Murder as well, but yeah, I love when he works with her too. And it's just this kind of like, it's a mystery. Like you don't really know until the very, very end. It ends really tragically, but it all kind of comes together to where you finally see what's going on. But I just love this movie. This is one that I've also seen. In fact, my top three I've seen probably 10 times each at least. Mm -hmm. So this is another one that I, I love and I revisit often. I think it's one of his best. And I love that you can see that subgenre, if you will, of horror and thriller kind of being created here, really. And now, you know, Rear Window, I mean, there's there's at least one or two, quote unquote, Rear Window movies every year, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like voyeur, voyeuristic kind of thriller horror aspects. Um, and we didn't see it cinematically really before this, at least I didn't. So I think of it as one of the the pillars of that kind of subgenre. And I love it. So. There you go. Rear window. What do you think of this one? I love rear window. It's not in my list, but I, I love oh, that okay. movie. All right. How do you pick from 58 movies? I mean, it's tough, but I, I, I love well, that you just, one. You just have to be me and only see 10 of them and then it'll be a little bit easier for you. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe that. I was so surprised by that. Uh, okay. So that's my number three rear window. We are up to our runner ups. Lindsay Dunn, what do you got at number two? Okay, my number two is The Birds. <laughs> this is right. 1963. And, um, you know, the I think we all probably know what the concept is, but it's what if, what if birds turned against us humans and how would we mm-hmm. protect ourselves from that? I like a small town horror, and I think that's what um, a small town horror slash thriller, whatever you want to call this, but I um, I like this one, how she goes to the little town of Bodega Bay. You get to know the characters that work there. There's this wonderful scene that takes place in a diner 
or a restaurant and all of the people are talking about the um, what's going on and what could happen. And it's very, very frightening. And then you have uh, a fire outside, but that, um, like I watch a movie right now, like The Mist, you know, the Stephen King's The Mist making that. And again, you have the people in the store that are all gathering and trying to trying to hide together and survive, basically. And it's just uh, a wonderful, I don't um, movie all over. The I think one of the most famous scenes, I love that scene, the diner, but the other scene that always gets me is when the birds are just gathering on the playground equipment while the kids are. Oh yeah, sure. Are mm-hmm. you know they're singing that the children's song, and as they're singing the song, each verse, more and more birds begin to land, and it's the camera just effectively keeps cutting back and forth between Tippy Hedren smoking her cigarette, and then more mm-hmm. birds come by, and she's not really noticing this even until it's way too late. It's just, it's right. masterfully done. And I'm sure you've probably seen the birds. Not only have I seen it, it's also my number two. So I'm, I'm twinsies. Ooh. We're twinsies. Yeah, dude. My, this is one of the ones my grandmother introduced me to. We watched together like five times over the course of the last, I don't know, 10 to 15 years. Like, it's funny because she was telling me when she was younger, when this movie came out, it scared the shit out of her. Like she saw it in the theater and, just the effect it had on her and a lot of movie going audiences back then. I mean, you didn't have the internet, you didn't have social media, you didn't have Google, like this kind of shit was probably really frightening to people, you know, and Hitchcock does it. We're going to be talking about it with my number one as well, but we as a society, generally speaking, are not afraid of birds. I mean, I know there are people that are, but I'm just saying as a general society, it's just kind of an everyday thing. They're they're on the phone poles or on our roof of our house. They're singing in the morning. When we wake up like nobody's, you know, you don't really think of birds as like this really frightening, horrific predator, you know? And mm-hmm. Hitchcock says, you know what? Let me, let me change that a little bit. Let me put them together in a group of a million and they're going to attack you. And then you, you know, there's a lot of social overtones in this movie too. Like, Mm-hmm. commentary kind of built in i mean the birds was a term used to describe women in the in the mm-hmm. 1950s and there's kind of like women in this town that are kind of butting heads and kind of trying to be the dominant female in this town and tippy hedron comes in as a socialite who's really beautiful and kind of an outcast and you know she's trying to fit in and you know her love interest in the movie has attachments to all these other women we presume he's a bit of a playboy so there's a lot of kind of commentary built into to where women kind of were in society at the time that this movie was made. And Hitchcock is kind of, you know, he's got these subtle kind of hints about that throughout the movie. And I like that too, that it's, it's a layered film. It's not what it seems on the surface, uh, at least not a hundred percent, but from mm-hmm. a horrific standpoint, I mean, the dude with his eyes gouged out, you know, that one scene, uh, <laughs> yeah just fucking i mean that's beautiful i mean that's beautiful from a, from a horror image perspective or imagery mm-hmm. perspective it's just perfect and it's masterfully directed the links that tippy hedron went to in this movie i've seen some documentary footage of mm. some stuff that she said in interviews and stuff and you know literally having live birds thrown at her on the set like you know just throwing like 50 birds on her while you know while it's being filmed i mean just that kind of stuff and that level of commitment to create 
just you know one of the most uh, memorable films in, in in Hitchcock's catalog for sure. But it's also my number two. I agree with everything you said as well. So the birds were matching up there on our number twos. Nice. Amazing. Uh, are you scared of birds after seeing it or no? Um, I'm not, but I, I'm not scared nah. of birds. But some, you know, I should say sometimes I do when I see them gathering. That it kind of freaks me out a little bit. But uh, yeah, this uh, is it. There they come. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> somebody should do this with cats. Has anybody done that? Has anybody done this with cats? Or is it like all the cats get together and they attack humans? They haven't done that yet. Ever. Oh, somebody probably I, has. I bet somebody. I has. love cats. That freaked me out. I'd be like, oh god. My cats and then the cats are looking at you. You'd be like, what are you guys looking at? Yeah. <laughs> so all right, there we go. So we're up to our number ones. Lindsay, I, I mean, you know me. So you probably, I mean, you could talk about my number one, even if it's not yours. But go ahead. What, what's <laughs> well, your Gerald's number one? Number one is, <laughs> yes. Um, my number one is Vertigo, which was your oh, wow, number okay. four. I know. Uh, right? Yep. It was number four. Um, so this yes. is done in 1958, and you already described much of it. But uh, one thing that uh, a couple of things that you didn't mention, I think, are interesting is this is one of the first movies that ever had uh, PTSD in it, um, like mm-hmm. that psych- psychological um, event or anomaly that can happen in a person's life, and so it was mm-hmm. it was notable for that. Uh, Hitchcock's an innovator, being able talking about these mental health issues way before any other director wanted to touch sure. them. Um, they had these things with the zoomy cameras. The the uh, the special effects in it are amazing. That the cameras they built to be able to zoom in, as well as the beautiful colors, which you already entailed. There is a a wonderfully animated dream sequence that's in this movie. Hello, yep. it's like mm-hmm. mixed media in a in a an adult movie. You know, they Disney had done some right. of that, but. Other uh, serious movies had not done that. This nightmarish uh, dreamscape. This wasn't the first time he'd done a dreamscape, but uh, continuing that. And this, this again, this movie has inspired so many other movies and TV shows like Twin Peaks. Um, a lot of the color schemes and the things that David Lynch got from uh, from Vertigo, mm-hmm. also sure, like yeah. even other genres like Portrait of a Lady on Fire. There was this. There's this green dress and the blue dress and the red mm-hmm. background and a lot of the ways uh, you mentioned that through Hitchcock's camera, we see Jimmy Stewart falling in love with Madeline and us as an audience mm-hmm. also falling in love with Madeline. And the same thing is done in Portrait of a Lady on Fire, where the that the one woman falls in love with the woman she's drawing, and so. It's a movie about obsession and, uh, you know, well, lust. Yeah, and I mean, he, you know, he, absolutely. And to piggyback on what you're saying and, uh, you know, the tracking shots in this movie, too, because, mm-hmm. you know, when Jimmy Stewart's character is kind of like following her and doing his investigative work and stuff, we are, too, because we're we're with him. We're, right. The camera's basically tracking his journey. And what was genius, because when you learn the plot twist later, you can kind of see why this was important. But he never really has contact with her directly the first like half of the movie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he's just kind of following her and watching her from afar. It's not until the Golden Gate Bridge scene when she you know tries to kill herself that they kind of physically become connected. Uh, but prior to that, we're just kind of watching her with him. And mm-hmm. the way it's shot and knowing that he's our kind of lens 
for for what we're supposed to feel for her, we start kind of feeling that way too. Uh, and a lot of that goes to the performance as well. But mm-hmm. I, I agree. I mean, I'm interested to ask you because obviously you're a woman and you put Vertigo at number one, which is which is great. Obviously, I love it too. But I have heard criticisms of it being a little too male, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like a little well, too... Um, yeah, you you know, as you get to know them, as you start to see his movies better, you as you start to get to know Hitchcock better, you know, when you're first discovering him, you're thinking, oh, these movies are genius. Later on, you're kind of, you know, you can watch Vertigo and get really grossed out and <laughs> nauseous by Jimmy Stewart's behavior yeah. because he's like... He's basically, uh, in a way, he's practicing like necrophilia and he's like, you know, having sex with a dead woman, basically, like you said, a woman that does not exist. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's a really there is a really interesting experimental movie. If you, uh, you know, want to after you watch Vertigo, there's a movie called The Green Fog, which is uh, I think the whole thing's on YouTube, but it's somebody who deconstructed Vertigo and made. Oh, okay. The same movie with, you know, it was, it's like a montage to the extreme, but it's not, no scene plays out. It's like, um, it's really hard to describe, but it's a fun movie to experiment. But this movie is very much about voyeurism. And it is, Mm -hmm. you know, now I watch the movie and I can get grossed out by Jimmy Stewart's behavior and not like him. You know, it's hard not to like Jimmy Stewart, but maybe that's why he wanted to play this role because he wasn't playing like a perfect guy. I mean, he's forcing her to dress, wear her hair a certain way and wear a certain outfit. And she's clearly uncomfortable. So it can be seen as... um, you know, a man owning a woman or wanting to control yeah, or wanting sure. to possess her. So there's mm-hmm. all kinds of ways you interpretations you can put it in it. I mean, Vertig- Alfred Hitchcock himself is pretty gross. I mean, like it's gross that he made Tippi Hedren <laughs> tie birds to. It wasn't just that. Um, there's commentary in these movies about women being birds. Like the way he treated his stars wasn't very kind. So no, it's not necessarily right. laudable, but it's like it's still fascinating. And, and these movies are classics that you will get entranced by. Yeah, and you can dissect them too, which is you know the, kind of the mm-hmm. fun part of it too. I mean, they're going to live on forever. I mean, you know, these kind of conversations will be happening a hundred years from now. You know, and Hitchcock just was just able to do that. He was a, he was just a craftsman. He was an artist. So I, I love the pick. Obviously, it's in my top five as well. It's a movie that I revisit probably at least once every year or two. So I think it's a great pick. My number one, you know, is Psycho, 1960. The movie that did, well, I don't know. You could go back to Italian horror probably, but at least in America, invented the slasher. So mm-hmm. that's probably what I said. <laughs> Let's see. But that's what I'm saying now. <laughs> so, I mean, I, what else can you say? I mean, this movie is uh, an absolute legendary piece of filmmaking that is one of if not the jumping point for the horror genre which is my favorite genre of film and i know that and you know norman bates's character and kind of the psychology of the character and how it's psychological in that way it's not just you know a slasher i mean it is but it's also dealing with so many themes of just detachment from reality and, you know, mental health. And like I said, the psychology of it all and what brings you to the point that 
that Norman is at in this movie. And even in the subsequent sequels, I mean, there were some duds, but there were some that I really enjoyed too, kind of exploring that character. I love the Bates Motel TV series that I think FX did where it kind of tells how Norman, you know, from a younger boy to what we found out him to be in the film. So I just love that kind of character study of, of this guy who at first glance is kind of like almost like a Ted Bundy type character where like he's really charismatic and handsome and kind of seems to have his shit together, has his own business. Like, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, he's kind of cool. He's a cool dude. And then it starts to kind of unravel a little bit and we kind of see what he's dealing with and, his quote unquote mommy issues, which in 1960, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. now you watch it and you go, well, well, whatever. But I mean, in 1960, <laughs> people seeing that twist and seeing that kind of, you know, the cross dressing and all, I mean, that had to have been like, just, I mean, I wasn't alive, but I mean, it, it had to have just been a profound experience and definitely a shocking one for most moviegoers, I would imagine. Um, and the shower scene is, I don't know if I want to say this on my show because you'll come back and quote me in a couple of years, but this might be this might be the most iconic scene in cinematic history, the shower scene in Psycho. Mm-hmm. I mean, it definitely is probably in the top three or five of scenes in movie history. It's just so well known. I mean, people that don't even know what this movie is or have never seen it know the shower scene. Mm-hmm. You know, they know the score from Herman. They know, I, I mean, the way that, there's so many edits in that movie and some as somebody who does video editing and kind of like toys around with it a little bit, I can't even fucking fathom what they did in this movie in 1960 mm-hmm. where you're cutting celluloid basically to edit films and yeah. they've got like something crazy, like a hundred different cuts in the shower scene. I mean, it's, it's insane. Um, they couldn't show blood on camera. So they had the inventive or they couldn't show it from a human body. I should say. So they had these kind of inventive shots with the blood going down the drain, which is also iconic. So, yeah, I mean, Bernard Herman's score, the imagery from this movie, Norman Bates as a quote unquote horror villain. All of it is iconic. All of it is a springboard to everything that I love and that you love and anybody that likes horror loves today. Uh, it all started with Psycho and movies like that in the 60s and 50s and 60s. And you can see the influence, and I love it. It's my favorite Hitchcock film. It's definitely the one I've seen the most. Um, it's my favorite. What do you, I can't believe it's not on your list, though. Did you not do that because you knew I was going to have it, or are you just not a fan of it? Oh, no, I love it. I mean, uh, Psycho okay, is – I remember uh, my, my parents went to bed. It was like the time – at a certain point, my mom said, you can stay up as late as you want now. You don't have a bedtime, but you have to get up for school in the morning. And I stayed up and I watched Psycho and I was, you know, in high school, I, could, I couldn't believe that the lead character died. I mean, talk about shocking. There were many things that shocked. I mean, having your lead protagonist die, mm-hmm. you know, that's why they, they didn't let, nobody could come in to the movie once it started. Um, mm mm-hmm. So it, there, there was a lot about this movie, but uh, even before you meet Norman Bates, you got this concept of Marion's got this money and you're thinking you're going to follow the money uh, across and that ends up being, a, I guess, a MacGuffin or like a, uh, a thing that doesn't really end up counting in the big picture. But yeah, this movie is crazy. Uh, it's um, one I've studied a lot looking at the way that um, Hitchcock um, uses light and shadow and mirroring between Marion mm-hmm. and 
Norman. Uh, yeah, this is this movie. It's great. Uh, I'm not saying it's not great. <laughs> uh, no, no, but, yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. All right, sweet. Well, if nothing else, we had a little, you know, mix. I mean, you got, I'm looking at your list here. And two of your five I haven't seen. So I'm on that. I got it on my to-do list. I actually added the uh, rope as you were talking about it on Letterboxd. I got to go back and do the same thing for Lifeboat. So I'm going to check those out for sure. There's where our top five Hitchcock movies. Movies directed by Alfred Hitchcock with Lindsay Dunn. I tell you what, Lindsay, let's take a quick break. Mm. You know, I got the Golden Peas Movie Awards coming up. The ceremony is on March 13th. Voting is open. So I want to run a promo so everybody knows where to find that. Just head over to twopeasonapod.com slash golden peas and cast your vote. You guys are deciding the winners this year. And like I said, we'll announce them on March 13th. So let's take a quick break, Lindsay, and then when we come back, we will wrap up our list and give some honorable mentions. You have like 54 honorable mentions, you said, right? (laughs) I'm kidding. We'll be right back, guys. Everybody sit tight. Hello there, this is Julio from The Contrarians, and if the following ad read doesn't quite sound like me, that's because Gerald wrote the script. Well, let's see how this goes. Every year, Gerald from Two Peas puts on his own personal movie awards affectionately called the Golden Peas, honoring the previous year in film. This year will be the first as a YouTube broadcast and we'll have guest presenters giving out awards in seven movie categories including Best Movie, Best Female Performance, and Best Horror Movie, just to name a few. And the best part about all of this is that the winners are voted on and chosen by you. These awards are 100% based on your participation and votes. Please help us share and promote it leading up to the event and don't forget to cast your ballot this year. Head over to twopeaceonapod.com slash goldenpeace to see the list of nominees and cast your votes. Then, tune in on Monday, March 13th at 9.30pm Eastern Standard Time to see the winners revealed live on YouTube. We will have some amazing special guests and Gerald will be joined by co-host, the god of podcasting himself, Brian Loisos. We hope you join us this year to once again celebrate our shared love of the movies. And cut, print, one take. You're welcome. Welcome back, guys. As I said, pre-break, Lindsay Dunn is here from one of my stories. And we just had a great conversation about Alfred Hitchcock doing our top five films for Mr. Hitchcock. Lindsay, why don't you remind everybody what your five were real quick before you give your honorables? Okay, my number five was Lifeboat. Number four, Rope. Number three, The Man Who Knew Too Much. Number two, The Birds. And number one, Vertigo. Nicely done. My top five was, uh, number five was Dial M for Murder. My number four was Vertigo. My number three was Rear Window. We matched up on our number two, which was The Birds. And my number one was, of course, Psycho, which is literally no surprise to anyone that's hearing this right now. <laughs> Anybody that listens to my show is like, okay, well, we'll see what the other four are. We know what number one is. And you're right. That's my number one, Psycho. Mm-hmm. Lindsay, what did you have in your honorable mentions? I've only got three because... As I was telling you up top, I've only seen about 10 Hitchcock movies from start <laughs> to finish, at least at least that I remember. Yeah. So I picked I picked three that I at least felt like I could confirmably talk about. You know what I mean? Uh, what about you? What do you have in your honorable mentions over there? So I have Shadow of a Doubt. And this is What If Your Uncle Was a Serial Killer? So that's a good, uh, it's a ah, great one. Notorious. That old chestnut. <laughs> um, 
has a famous for a two and a half minute kiss and the famous uranium in the wine cellar <laughs> MacGuffin that mm. doesn't end up playing out, but that is uh, another mm. honorable mention. Strangers okay. on a Train. That's a good mm. one. I know that one. And the whole the old crisscross that was used for from throw mama from the train. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, North by Northwest, which was referenced in the chat, and Marnie, which is a very late Hitchho- Hitchcock that people should check out. This one is specifically about childhood trauma. Another one that was Ooh. people did not like when it first came out, and now it's considered mm-hmm. another. You know, another uh, hit from Hitchcock, very, a much, you know, very less known Hitchcock that people should seek out. Another Tippy Hedren well, you, Okay, nice. Uh, well, you mentioned all mine, but my number six would have been Strangers on a Train. I love that, like you said, swip swap, crisscross. Like, I love that kind of mystery element. And we've seen that before, too. That's another one that Hitchcock kind of coined a little bit early on. Mm-hmm. But this is definitely probably the best example of it. I don't know if it's because it's the most original, but I, I I love Strangers on a Train. Just a great premise and a great movie by Hitchcock. The Man Who Knew Too Much, you also mentioned. And then my number eight would have been North by Northwest. So that's another one that I've seen a few times that you know, I, I love that the thriller aspect to it. I love kind of like the setting. That one I remember being a little funny too. Like it, it had some mm-hmm. comedic kind of, like hints to it which was weird for hitchcock but i remember kind of laughing at some of the stuff in north by northwest not because it wasn't self-aware just because there was kind of some like inadvertent comedy built into it which i really enjoyed so that would round out my top eight which is going to upset some regular listeners because i always round up my top 10 but i didn't want to do that tonight because i wanted to be authentic and there's just too many that i don't remember vividly enough to really talk about so there you go that's our favorite hitchcock movies and then some Lindsay. what i like to do to end every episode is head over to social media and see what the fans had to say in the old suggestion box let me pull that up real quick and see what they had to say i said what are some of your favorite alfred hitchcock films and they said joey austin patron in front of the show says the birds he said his mom was deadly afraid of birds i think that's what i was kind of telling you about my grandmother as well Mm-hmm. Uh, Josh Ragland says, sadly, Hitchcock is a huge blind spot for him. He doesn't think he's seen any of his films. Wow. Not even Psycho, Josh. That kind of surprises me. Um, I'll have to message Josh when the show's over and get him, get him some suggestions over there. Patrick Sherwood says, Psycho, Rear Window, and Rope. There you go. The Rope mention. Tony, patron and friend of the show, he's also watching us in the chat right now. Thank you so much, Tony. He says, dial M for murder, north by northwest, notorious, strangers on a train, and to catch a thief. Do you know that one, Lindsay? Do I know? Yeah, I know about to catch a thief. Yeah, it's it's a good movie with, uh, yeah, Grace Kelly. Ah, okay. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that one. Uh, Julio said the Gus Van Sant remake of Psycho. <laughs> Julio and I told him to get the hell out of the chat. So yeah, uh, he for so you know he did that for his show last year, the remake of Psycho. He did that for his podcast, and he liked it. And we all kind of gave him mm. shit about it over in our <laughs> chat. So what did you did you see the Vince Vaughn remake? I'm assuming oh, yeah. you did not like it, right? 
I yeah I I I went in with an open mind because I thought all right I'll you know Hitchcock was into experimenting so I was like all right let's see you know do the exact same shots is it can it can the magic be repeated and we all found out no it cannot yeah is yeah talk about shot by shot remakes huh We'll see Paul from the countdown who you joined with us last night. We did our 22, 2022 films, but he said it's psycho then everything else. But Rebecca is dead last. We didn't mention Rebecca tonight. Uh, how do you feel about that one? Did you see that remake? It came out last year. I saw the remake. I prefer the original, of course, but that's a favorite mm-hmm. of my mom's. Um, I, also, I feel like that one is very different and feel to other Hitchcock movies. as it well. It is, Yeah, it is. I agree with that. David Powell, patron and friend of the show, says Vertigo, Rear Window, Notorious, Psycho, Rebecca, North by Northwest, Rope, and Strangers on a Train. So I think we mentioned pretty much all of his except for Rebecca tonight. So uh, mm-hmm. good list there, David. Chris Yaney, my main dude, he's also watching over on YouTube right now. He said Vertigo, North by Northwest, and Rear Window is his number one. And I could easily see that being uh, number one. I think that was my three, but I do love that movie. So that's a good list there, Yaney. Amanda, dear friend of mine, dear friend of the show, says North by Northwest, Rear Window, Rebecca, Notorious, To Catch a Thief. And then she says, can you tell I like Cary Grant? <laughs> hey, Cary Grant is in a lot of this. Uh, I think that's it uh, yeah i think that's it guys thank you so much for the feedback this week we did get a lot of comments for alfred hitchcock and it means a lot to me Lindsay dunn is here one of my stories and like i said she's kind of becoming a show regular to be honest with you she was just on last week we did our 2022 movies she was on this past october we did blumhouse movies uh we're probably going to be doing movie reviews together in the near future at least i hope so i got my fingers crossed but yeah you're you're my partner now. I don't know if I told you, but you're going to be joining me here frequently. So, but until then, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you and look you up online, Lindsay? I'm at one of my That's number one of my stories. You can also find me on Twitter, Letterboxd, YouTube, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts at one of my stories. Now, Gerald, before we sign off, I want to give you a challenge. I want you to think about something. Mm-hmm. I know you said you're going to listen, watch some new, more Hitchcock movies, maybe in October. Now, mm-hmm. I know your your rule of you only cover each topic one time on this podcast, but with 58 movies, mm-hmm. maybe consider doing another, you know, Hitchcock movie after you've seen mm-hmm. more of the catalog. I'd be really interested in seeing how your favorites, if they change once you've seen some more of his catalog later on. Interesting. Interesting. You know, what we could do um, is we could do like a ranking video, you know, and I could have you on for that. We could do it on YouTube as opposed to like a podcast episode. Mm-hmm. But you're probably right, though. Although I don't. How can the birds and Psycho not be my one and two? I mean, they're, they're going to be my one and two. I'm just telling you. I mean, I just love those movies so much. I mean, maybe I'll get surprised. I don't know. I love Vertigo. I don't see that dropping out of here. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll take the challenge. I just don't know. My yeah. list might be the same, <laughs> but I'll give it a shot. Or maybe I could do like, you know, my top five Hitchcock, not including Psycho, because that's there's no way that's not going to be number one. But I just, just love something it to so think much. about. Yeah. Yeah, sure. No, I'll accept it. Sure. 
Well, Lindsay, it means a lot to me that you're here again. Uh, I don't think we have anything planned on the calendar, but who knows? I mean, I call on you, so you might be back sooner than later. But thanks so much for being here. It was a blast talking about Alfred Hitchcock with you. So once again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And guys, thank you for tuning in. We will be back next week. I'll have another guest and another top five for you. Until then, everybody take care.